0: so today we're gonna i'm wrapping up the series we've been looking at this series we're calling it running uh with the horses i pray that i pray that it's been a challenge to your heart um i pray that it's that it's built up your faith i pray that it's informed your minds uh but most most of all i pray that um like our mission statement says i pray that it's inspired you to passionately follow jesus Because in the end of the day, that's why we exist as a church. The reason we are, obviously we're looking to glorify God and all we do, but the thing that drives us here at Integrity Church, our mission statement is to inspire people to passionately follow Jesus. Because when a person is passionately following Jesus, every other metric of discipleship will take place. Right? And so, our heart's desire, my desire for this series, is that God, um, the Holy Spirit, just inspires you to passionately follow Jesus uh, more and more. Uh, we've journeyed through uh, with with Jeremiah through this dialogue, right, that he's having with God uh, in uh, mainly in Jeremiah chapter twelve, and and we've discovered a lot of things about Jeremiah that perhaps we can relate with um, as uh, as his people. And this, so this morning, as we. As I kind of wrap this up, we're going to kind of go back a little bit, grab some stuff there, and then apply it to where we're going to be going. Because in the end of the day, when we, when we talk about this idea of, of running with the horses, the question that begs to be answered is, where are we going? right? Where, what is this running all about? Where Where is this boat? Where is this ship? Where is this horse running to? And so we spent the last number of weeks talking about the what, and then this morning I want to wrap up with the, the so what. What do we do with what we've discovered in Jeremiah and perhaps about ourselves looking at this book um, in Jeremiah and specifically this, this interaction that Jeremiah has with God? Because we, we could put ourselves right where Jeremiah was. I mean, Jeremiah was frustrated with the people in the world. Have you ever been frustrated with the people in the world? <laughs> right? Jeremiah's like, why, why are the unrighteous people prospering? You know? He is frustrated with the people in the world. He is frustrated with people in the church. Now, the church wasn't there, but he was frustrated with the people of God. And I know, never in this church, but, but, but at a church you may have gone to in the past, you know what it was to be frustrated with people in the church, right? Sometimes our expectations are a little too high, perhaps even unreasonable, right? These people, in the, you know, what's with these church people, right? They're so unpredictable, they're so unreliable, they're so this, they're so that. You are the church people and so am I. Right, so we need to remember when we talk about them, we're talking about ourselves, and we all know what it is to have been a bit disappointed with people within the church. And Jeremiah, as he's looking at the people of God, he is frustrated. Right? He's frustrated with the world. He's frustrated with the people of God, and he's even frustrated with God. Now, he's careful in the way he says that, but he is clearly disappointed that God does not respond the way he thinks God should. And I know we've all been in that place. We don't like to tell everybody. That's usually not our part of the testimony. But we've all had those moments in our life where we're just kind of like,
1: Lord, I just would have did it
0: different. Lord, why? Lord, when? Lord, who? Right? We've, we've had those moments where, like Jeremiah, we just kind of find ourselves disappointed with the world, disappointed with the people of God, and sometimes even disappointed with God himself. But we learned that what was really causing the frustration in Jeremiah, the, the disappointment in Jeremiah, was not really what was going on on the outside, but we saw through this dialogue that Jeremiah is starting to reveal some things on the inside of him that really were fueling this frustration that were really fueling this impatience with what was going on in the world and in the church and certainly uh, with God. And I think that's a great takeaway for each and every one of us because we can all get frustrated with everything else going on around us and not take a moment of pause to consider what's going on on the inside. How much of the things that frustrate you are really just an excuse to not look and an area inside that still needs to grow. How much of the stuff that frustrates us is really only revealing an immaturity, an area in our life that needs to be sanctified, needs to develop, needs to grow, right? I mean, that's really what we see taking place in Jeremiah, and and at the end of the day, it really is what takes place with us. And you see... God God has called us to run with the horses. God's called us to not get bogged down running the race on foot with men. We're we're called to, to rise above the natural setbacks of life. Anybody have a setback in life? If you have a pulse... You know what it is to have a setback in life. We've all experienced setbacks in life. Things that we're going in a direction, we had our plan, we had our agenda, we had it all laid out, and then something did not follow up, follow through the way we thought it was, and so we had a setback. But see, what we need to realize is, God calls us to to calls us and, and equips us to turn our setbacks into stepping stones. You see, God allows setbacks so that they become stepping stones into the place that God wants each and every one of us to be. Too often we allow our setbacks to keep us back. And that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to run with the horses. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to to fulfill his plan and purpose for your life. And he does have one, by the way. You're not some arbitrary creation that he got in motion and they just kind of, see how this one turns out. No, no, no. He's got a unique plan and purpose for your life, a place for you to influence for the cause of Christ that only you can. You're not an accident. Your birth was not an accident and your rebirth was not an accident. God allows things to come into our life so that we would take a look on the inside to see what needs to be surrendered, what needs to be worked on, what needs to be matured, what needs to be exposed. And when we are willing to do that, then our setbacks turn into stepping stones. So how do we do that? How do we we turn a setback into a stepping stone. I'm just give you five simple things, simple ways to turn a setback into a stepping stone because I've had setbacks. I've had plans that have been introduced into my life that were not my plan, right? Right? And as I and, and now with the luxury of hindsight, I could look and say, you know, that was God's plan. That was good. It hurt, it was painful, it was inconvenient, but I look back and think, wow, you know, I probably wouldn't be the same person I am today. And and and, and that tells me that when the next setback comes, that's to help me not remain the same person I am today, right? Five ways that we can turn a setback into a stepping stone. Number one, embrace the sovereignty of God in your life. Know that you're not an accident. Know that anything that comes into your life comes with the divine approval of a God who loves you and has control and power and ability to change everything. And when he doesn't, it's because he's using that thing for your sanctification. Recognize the sovereignty of God in your life, knowing that this God who has all power loves you greatly And if things are allowed to be introduced into your life, setbacks are allowed to come in, it's because God is using that for your sanctification. And when we surrender that to that thing, and we allow God to use that as a tool in our life, it turns that setback into a stepping stone to get to where we've got to go. God's not rolling the dice with you to see how it it turns out. Think about it, nothing God has ever done has been arbitrary. Look at the heavens, right? And look how the look how everything just revolves the way it's supposed to revolve and stays in place, the, the way it's supposed to stay in place. I mean, God has, God is an ultimate designer. Look at the body, the way in which God has designed the body. Nothing God does is arbitrary. And so if he lets a setback in, it's to continue the work that he's begun in your life. Number two, surrender your desire to control or orchestrate an outcome. That's really hard sometimes, isn't it? I mean, we're going, right, we've got a plan, we've got an agenda, here's where we're going, we've got it all figured out, and then all of a sudden, a setback comes. And so what we do is we go back into our tool bag, and we take out all of our gifts, all of our abilities, all of our natural talents, everything that we have to try and avoid the discomfort, to try and avoid the inconvenience, and we try to fix the problem so that things go really well instead of taking a moment of pause. And saying, God, are you allowing this setback into my life? God, are you calling me to pause right now? Too many times we can rely on our own efforts and miss what God is doing at the moment. Surrender your desire to control or orchestrate an outcome. Now, obviously, God's put those gifts there. God's put those abilities there. God's given you your mind to use and navigate with, and that's that. That's ultimately what you'll end up doing. But before you put your plans in motion, take a moment of pause and say, "God, what would you have me to do? How do you want? Lord, am I looking at this correctly? Is this setback a redirect into where you're looking to bring me?" we need to take that moment of pause in order to do that. Surrender your desire to control or orchestrate an outcome. We turn a setback into a stepping stone when we focus more on what the setback is revealing about you on the inside and then we give it to God. Too many times we we have reaction Christianity, right? We react to everything and everyone and every situation. We try to deal with all the stuff that's out there. We're focused on everything that's going on out there And we fail to take those moments of pause where we consider what's going on on the inside, as I mentioned before. What is this revealing about me? How is this person that doesn't seem to leave my life, right? Lord, why won't this person just go away, right? And the real question is, God, what is this person revealing about me that needs to go away? Why? Because if it's this, if, it's, if it's this person one day it's going to be somebody something or somebody else the next, right? God, what are you, what are you doing in me? Lord, help me to see why does this, why does this situation invoke anger and insecurity and, and all those other hosts of emotions? God, what is it that's being revealed on the inside? Number four, we turn a setback into a stepping stone when you recognize you never fully know the whole story. Listen, he is omniscient He knows everything there is to know about everything God knows it all He is omniscient, we are not we are very limited. We don't, know. we don't know what tomorrow holds. He does. He is eternal. We are stuck in this arena called time, and we can only see as far as our eyes can see, but God is over time. He knows what's down the road, and so we need to recognize that the setback that we're seeing today is not the whole story. Perhaps the setback that God is allowing into our life is the very thing that's going to protect us from a failure down the road that we just can't yet see. Recognize you never fully know the whole story. You never know the whole story about other people, although we think we do sometimes, right? (laughs) I got got her number. I I know what they're all, I know, have you said this? I know what they're thinking. (laughs) Have you ever listened to yourself? Anything embarrassing sometimes? Like, I got them all figured out. And we, we do that. We don't, we don't brag about it, but we do that. And see, when we, when we do that, we're only revealing something on the inside that's very immature and very ungodly and is a hindrance for in us being able to move out and run the way God wants us to run. Recognize you never fully know the whole story And then lastly, number five, never stop moving forward in God. Return a stepping stone Uh, We we turn a a setback into a stepping stone when we keep on moving. We don't pause. We don't, you know, cash our ticket in. We don't throw in the marbles. We don't throw in the towel. It's like, no, no, we don't go away. We dig in. We press on. We look unto Jesus. We use every circumstance. We put everything that we don't understand into this box of saying, I don't know, but you know. And we recognize that, God, you know what? You're not bringing things in my life to cause me to stop moving closer to you. So whatever is going on, I need to let that fuel my pursuit of you. Never stop moving forward in in, in, in your walk in God. Never. There's never a time to stop talking to God. There's never a time to stop reading your Bible. There's never a time to stop praying. People might frustrate you. Situations might, might, might discourage you. Things will happen. But listen, one thing that does not change is that God is for you and that God has a plan and a purpose. And when you don't know what to do, and a lot of times we just don't know what to do. I mean, and we need to be willing to say, I, I don't know what to do, right? But Lord, you know. And if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... Then everything gets real easy you say well but you still don't know what to do yeah but at the right time I will know what to do you see it might not be time to know what to do but see we're fixers like we, we try to right so we, we, we got to kind of make sure we we get things going and so we, we, we need to that's why we need to keep God at the center never stop moving forward in God that's what Jeremiah did Jeremiah was frustrated. Jeremiah walked our, you know, he he knows what we've been through as well. He experienced it. But despite the setbacks, he continued to move forward in what God called him to do. He brought the message that God had for the people of God and he faithfully fulfilled God's plan for his life. And you see, what was true for Jeremiah is true for you and me. God has a plan. God has a purpose. It's God's plan for you to thrive. To walk in in everything that he's designed for you to walk in. You say, well, what, what does thrive look like? Is that like a certain number in your bank account? Does that like, like, is that a certain number of friends in your, in your life? What does Thrive look like? Thrive looks like walking in, in the direction according to the design that God has you to walk. It's, allowing, it's walking in the peace of God that he has for your life. It's, it's a peace that's not dependent on things or people or programs or anything else. It's knowing deep in your knower that you are right where God wants you to be. And you see, nobody can tell you about that location. That may be different for every person, but you will know when you are right where God wants you to be. Why? Because you'll see fruit in your life that reflect a surrendered life to God. It's God's plan for you to thrive. That's what it means to be running with the horses, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, undistracted, laser-focused, living on purpose and with purpose. But as we saw in the first week, we we need to be on guard. We need to be careful that apathy doesn't, doesn't set in for those who are with us that first week you know what I'm talking about if you weren't here you have no idea what I'm talking about so I'm going to give you a little bit of a of a a backtrack here we need to be careful to not let apathy come into our life apathy is a cancer that will take the wind right out of your sails and keep you from experiencing God's best in your life apathy apathy you know, it's interesting. I think one of the one of the greatest gifts that that, are, that that we see existing in the body of Christ are those saints, those pillars in the church that have been walking with Jesus all of those years. They have so many of those remember wins, those moments where they could see and articulate God's faithfulness and through the hard times and the and the good times, they've been able to see the fingerprints of God over their life over the long haul. And I love to listen to those people and just learn from those people and absorb, you know, what's going on in their life. And it's such a wonderful thing to be sitting with people who have been in the church for so long. But the flip side is, for those folks who are in the church for so long, the danger is if if a person is not actively pursuing Jesus as their primary focus, then what ends up happening is it's really too easy to take that position of, well, you know what, I've been there, done that, and got the t shirt yeah, you know, missions, I went on missions trips, I served in the church, I used to tithe, I used to do this, I used to encourage people, I used to be at the church every time the door was open. But you know, it's not so much anymore. As I've been in the faith for a long time, I've discovered that I don't really need, and what ends up happening is apathy starts to set in. It's what we saw in the people of God. That 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 um, in Jeremiah's day, right? They moved from being under a vicious, vile king to being under a good king. And while things changed on the outside, what wasn't changing was their hearts on the inside. And so what ended up happening was their 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 lips appeared, their words appeared that they were close to God, to God, but their hearts were far from God. Apathy was setting in as we, as we looked, it became familiar. And that's the danger of apathy. Apathy takes place when we become familiar with the things of God. Familiar.,, so, yeah, you know, yeah,, yeah I, I, had, I had an experience with God 27 years ago. It was so great. And they always go back to what was. And I always want to say, what about now? When was the last time you had an experience with God? When was the last time God rocked your world? They get familiar with the things of God, get familiar with the people of God. Like, oh, there's the church people again. Right? We can get disconnected. We could we devalue people. And yet, we're the body of Christ. There's no room to devalue. And so when we, listen, well, this is down to offend somebody, but if you can take or leave people, they're not the problem, you are. If you can take or leave people, you, 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 you realize you are, you are not seeing the value of the body of Christ. Jesus calls us his bride. And he does not want us to devalue. And so when we, when we do that and we say that, we're only revealing some stuff on the inside that needs to go to the cross apathy, familiarity with the Word of God. You know, we get, apathy sets in when we become familiar with the Word of God. Oh, you know what? How many times, times you read reading the Bible, like, I know that verse, and so you move right on down to the other one? For God so loved the word. Yeah, I know that. we going down to verse 17, right? You see, when we, become, when we become familiar with the word of God, it only reveals that we've never allowed the word of God to go deep enough. We have not sat, scratched the surface of what God's word can do in transforming our hearts and minds. But we become, we become familiar. When was the last time you opened your word? The word. Was the last Sunday during service? That's, that's not... Apathy sets in. We're familiar with the presence, we get, we get familiar with the presence of God. Right? The people, have come, people are gathering together in the house of God. And a lot of times it's kind of like, well, you know, if it works into my calendar this week, I'll be there. When we're more committed, listen, when we're more committed to our jobs than we are to the house of God, there's a problem. I understand there's times we got to work, and I I get that. But we need to be careful that we we need to put the same kind of commitment to those things that we do to the house of God. I have never, in 32 years of being a Christian, I have never seen a strong Christian grow apart from being involved in the church. Because the church is the incubator that God places us in to grow us alongside one another. Aren't you glad you're here today? Aren't you glad, like you know, like, you didn't hear about this you know, a month ago? But that, but that's what God. That's, that's This is the environment that God gives us. And so apathy sets in when we just become familiar with the with the things of God and the people of God and the Word of God and the presence of God. Apathy sets in when the awe, in awesome, fades away, and we lose that wow factor about who God is. And so we examined our hearts. We asked God to forgive us. And it wasn't a one and done kind of thing, right? Because I see apathy in, in so many different areas of my life. And I look and I say, God, please just don't let this settle in. Just keep turning it over and keeping it fresh and keeping my heart soft and tender towards you and help me lord to not get familiar with people and familiar with the word of god and familiar with the presence of god lord i know the danger i've seen it happen i've seen so many people fall i've seen so many pastors get to just walk away and do stupid things and god i don't want to be one of them and and i'm sure they didn't either at one point point. and what happened i think apathy sets in we just become familiar We become familiar with the grace of God and say, well, if I mess up, God will forgive me. Got to be careful. We can't allow the awe and awesome to fade away because God is an awesome God. We talked about the identifying the hurdles. What are those, what are those things in our lives that, that trip us up? Those things that, that distract us? Those things that, that keep us from experiencing God's best. I love watching those horses run the track and seeing the hurdles. They don't go around the hurdles. They go over those things like they're not even there. And that's what we need to do as God's people. We need to see every hurdle as an opportunity to step forward in what God has for us to do, making sure that they don't keep knock us off course. What are the hurdles in our lives that get in the way? We identified those things, hopefully made some adjustments. And by now I'm sure you realize it's not a one and done kind of thing because there's all kinds of distractions that come our way at different times and we need to to identify those things so that they don't get in the way not of of our commitment to the church but our commitment to Jesus. That needs to be priority. We looked at Peter and we saw that the, the apostle had moments that were, can we say, less than stellar. Right? I mean, right up until that moment where Jesus had just gotten done telling him he's going to deny him three times. And Peter's like, yeah, not going to be me. And yet that's exactly what he does. He denies his Lord three times. But then he has this experience in the upper room, right? And it's at that moment that he, he follows the instruction from the Lord to go and, and wait and tarry for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the church is birthed, and it is a new era, a new covenant now that we are walking in. And as the crowd on the outside starts to hear and see what's going on in the inside, the church does what the church is supposed to do. They leave the temple and they go into the streets and they begin to preach and they begin to share Christ and they begin to show and demonstrate the power of God in their midst. People traveling from all around the world to come and celebrate the feast and all different languages and tongues that, 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 that they come to celebrate. And now they hear these disciples, unlearned men for the most part, speaking the same languages of their homeland. And they're looking and saying, what in the world is going on? The Tower of Babel is reversed at that point where God confused the languages. And now the people are gathering together. And they're like, man, this crowd of Christians, they must be, they must be drunk. What's going on here in Peter? I love Peter. Not the cowering Peter. Not the not the Peter that ran away when the little girl called upon him and said, weren't you with him? No, this is a renewed Peter. This is an empowered Peter. This is a Peter that's full of the Holy Spirit. And when asked are these people drunk, he says, no, no. They are not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. That in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your young men will dream dreams. And your old men will see visions. And your sons and daughters will Prophesied. This is that which was spoken of so many years ago as the church is now birthed in the streets of Jerusalem. And Peter gets up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and preaches the good news of Jesus, and 3,000 people come to Christ. And the church is launched, renewed, what a difference in Peter's life since the wind had blown in the upper room. And likewise, as we move out from apathy, as we identify those obstacles that get in the way of our pursuit of Jesus, it's important that you and I have an encounter with the Holy Spirit as well. When you came to Christ, you received all of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit did not receive all of us. At no point in our life have we ever been fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And so as we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit and we empty ourselves of ourselves, it creates the environment for the Holy Spirit to fill those those, those gaps that we finally released and and it empowers us to be more like Jesus. It's not that we get more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets more of us and it's 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 a vital experience for each and every one of us as as God's God's people. Regularly going to the the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit, would you fill me today? Would you empty, empty myself of myself? And Lord, I recognize that what I'm called to do today, I don't have the power, the ability, the tools, or the equipment to do that, but I trust you. Would you fill me today? Last week, we looked at that passage and Ephesians that Paul presents this idea of being filled with the Spirit and and we see how that filling of the Spirit impacts every practical area of our lives. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that we can't associate or, or understand or connect with people in the world around us. Some people are so heavenly minded they know earthly good. That's not being filled with the Spirit, that's being filled with themselves. Right? And so we see in, 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 in that same passage where Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit, we see that being filled with the Spirit impacts us in the most practical senses. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, Look carefully at how you speak, at how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We see here that that how the Spirit-filled life affects how we walk. The Spirit-filled life is an examined life. The spirit-filled life considers the way in which we operate in the world around us. The spirit-filled life looks carefully how it walks. Secondly, we saw that the spirit-filled life makes the best use of time. It doesn't waste time, it stewards time. The spirit-filled life recognizes that time is God's gift to us, and what we do with that time is our our gift back to God. A spirit-filled life recognizes the day and hour in which we live and seeks to be a tool in the hand of God in the environment that he has us in. The spirit-filled life does not get drunk with wine or any other outside vices or, or, uh, or sources. We don't allow things to influence us and, 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 and affect our direction, but instead we are filled with the Spirit. Having the Holy Spirit so influence us that it affects the way we live our lives. The spirit for life considers the way we speak and view one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, it causes us to see one another through the lens of what God's word says about one another. The spirit for life is a life that is in harmony with the Lord. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. A spirit for life is thankful always and in everything, not just on Thursday, right? We're not just thankful, but we're going to redirect our thankfulness to a person to whom we are thankful for, right? All across America, on Thursday, people will gather at their tables and they will express that they are thankful, but they will not oftentimes understand who they're being thankful to. It'll be they'll just be kind of thankful to thankfulness right but instead we as christians we recognize all things that all things come from the lord and and he is the source of all things he's a good good father and so we want to direct our thanks to to god always and everything good things bad things things we like things we don't like the spirit for life submits to one another out of reverence for christ This idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ means that we we put others ahead of ourselves. Just like Jesus modeled. It means we value all people. We recognize the dignity of all people made in the image of God as we seek to bring the life-changing message of Jesus to the world around us. That's what Jesus has called us to do. That's where we're going. This idea of running with the horses, running where? Running on mission. Running in alignment with the purpose and the plan that God put in motion for the church. It's interesting, before the Holy Spirit fell upon the church in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? Why did God invest his power in us? Why did the Holy Spirit fill us? to be his witnesses, to be a reflection of Jesus in the world around us, to go into Jerusalem, which is their, their immediate center there, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. We were filled with the Holy Spirit to go and make an impact for the world, in the world for Jesus. It's the why. I mean, Jesus gave us... The marching orders in Matthew chapter 28, we see Jesus says to them before he ascends into heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus put in motion what the church should be consumed with. That doesn't mean we don't work. That doesn't mean that we don't have hobbies. It doesn't mean that we don't do social activity. No, but we have a priority based on what Jesus says to go into the world and make disciples, to influence the world for Jesus. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. That's what he's entrusted to us. This is what God calls each and every one of us to do. To be a reflection of Jesus to the world around us. To bring the message of hope to a world that is without hope. You see, if you're a Christian here today, you, you might be going through a difficult time, but you're not without hope. Do you remember what it was like to not have hope? We're recipients of hope. Do you know that if you're a Christian, you're a part of a, of a network, a family, a of believers that extend all around the world today? In the poorest nations of the world and the richest nations of the world, God has his representatives speaking truth, living out this mission in the world. This body of believers is comprised of black and white, and yellow and male and female, and rich and poor, and educated and uneducated people from every walk of life that have been transformed by the power of the gospel. This tribe has been present on the earth as the called out ones, the church. The Greek Greek term is the ecclesia, the, the called out ones. And that group that you and I are a part of dates all the way back to that experience in the streets of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 2000 plus years earlier when the church was birthed. The church went on mission at that moment and the mission has not changed one bit. Many were persecuted. Many imprisoned tortured for their faith, condemned to death for this message that we hold dear in our hearts. Many of them paying the ultimate sacrifice, none of which regretting that moment as they stepped out of time and into eternity and heard those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Listen to what the author of Hebrews writes about this group of people who have gone on before us. This this expression of the church that has moved on before us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's what he calls them, a cloud of witnesses, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And here it is. And let us run with endurance. Run like horses. Let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand on the throne of God. Think about that. Since we are, and and if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, we see the faith hall of fame and we see the whole list of of men and women that have gone on before us, but it's broader than that. It's not just them. It's it's all of those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And and you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Do you hear them? I mean, they're, they're cheering you on. They have been where you are. They know the struggle. They knew the pain. They knew the distractions. They knew the cost. Many of them paid that ultimate cost. But they're all saying the same thing. You can do it. If God can do it through us, he can do it through you. In that cloud of witnesses are men like Samson who, who failed in so many different ways. And yet in his dying days, he took out more Philistines in that last moment than in all of his living. God used them. We see David in there. We, we, we see Elijah and Elisha and, 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 and Deborah and, and, and Rahab, the prostitute that God used. And we see a list of people. My dad is in that company of people. The loved ones that you have, have, have lost, that knew Jesus, they are in that company of people and they are surrounding like a great cloud of witnesses. I don't know if they're there or not, but their their testimony, their, their experience, their story continues to be heralded to you and I today. And they're saying, hey, we can do it, so can you. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your face. Run your race. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Notice he says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. In other words, not every weight is a sin, but it's still holding you back. And so we need to identify what are some weights in our life, in our life. Don't, don't put on somebody else your weight, right? What might be a weight that holds you back won't hold me back. What's a weight that will hold me back might not hold you back. And so we need to be very careful. Sin is sin. That's not up for negotiation. But there are some areas that are not sinful. They're just not good for you or for me. They are weights that hold us back from what God Wants us to do, and and so in the quietness of our own heart, we're asking God the question: God, what's holding me back? There's people all around you that don't know Jesus. I think, I think the church needs to get. I'm, I'm just, I'm just about done, but. The church needs to get a proper understanding and theology on hell. It is a real place. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. In fact, for every one time Jesus talked about heaven, he spoke about hell 25 more times. Jesus had something to say about this place that he came to save us from. You ever wonder how many people you just had contact with in the last week that might be on their way to hell? You see, we, we're missionaries. We've got the message of truth. We've, got, we've, we've experienced forgiveness. We've experienced redemption. We've experienced the, tri- the, the saving power of Jesus. And now we're called to bring that which we have received and, and bring it to the world around us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Running with the horses means that we're running on purpose, running on mission. And so, as I close it out, I just got one last thing, one last challenge. And the challenge I'm presenting to you is the same challenge I'm presenting to myself. Step up your game. Step up your game. Rise to the occasion. Embrace your call as a missionary. I'm not saying act like a missionary. I'm not calling you to act in a way that's contrary to what you are. You are a missionary. See your days through the lens of being a missionary, and so this morning we want to send you out on the mission field. We want to recognize you today. I want to ask everybody to please let's, let's stand together. There'll be a day where we stand. I ask the worship team to come up at this time. There'll be a day where we stand before God, and and we, you know. It, if if you've embraced Jesus, you have you'll never stand before God and be condemned because Christ has taken that for us. If you've never asked Christ to come into your lord into your life and be your lord and savior, the scripture says you're condemned already and I encourage you to give your life to Jesus today. But we will give an account as God's people for how we lived our lives. We will give an account for how we put in motion that which we've been entrusted with. We will give an account for how we allowed what we have freely received to be dispensed freely to the world around us. And this morning, I just want to raise the awareness that as we seek to be running like the horses, where are they going to the mission field? To your community, to your home, to your school, to your job, living life on mission. And so, here's what I want to do. I just want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask you if, if, if you look and say, you know what, I've heard that before, but you know what, I've really not been doing that fully the way I had, I should, or hey, maybe I have, but today I'm just going to rededicate, recommit that. T- I'm just going to ask you to come forward this morning because we're going to have a time of prayer together. We're going to worship. I'm going to send you home. You're going to have a bagel and coffee, and you're good to go. But I want to take a moment that you can look and say, you know what? On November 21st, 2021, I, re- I, I, I embraced that call of a, as a missionary. I embraced that call as a missionary. Spurgeon said it this way. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What does that look like? Well, what would Jesus say to the people in your home? And just say it. How would Jesus love that unlovely person on the job? How would he extend himself to someone who's different than you? Do it. How would would Jesus embrace the broken do it as if you're jesus's ambassador because i think that's what we are and so is there anybody who want to stand with me this morning and say you know what today i'm a missionary come on down let's just pray or today i just recognize and i'm a missionary i'm not perfect I know more of what I don't know than what I do, but if you use me, I'll be willing. See, I believe with all my heart that if we're willing, God will present opportunities even this week, even this day. God is ready whenever we are. And so if we'd go into our day saying, God, who's it going to be today? How am I going to extend myself today? If we're just willing, you'll be blown away to see the many ways in which God is willing to use you. D.L. Moody said something so powerful. He said, the world is yet to see what can happen with one life is fully surrendered to him. He said, by the grace of God I will be that man. And he went on to do amazing, amazing things. I want to be that man too. So Father, would you put fire in our bones today? Would you give us a hearts of missionaries today? Jesus, when you saw the crowd, the scripture says you were moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, would you move us with compassion? Would you even inconvenience us so that we might be an extension of your love and your grace to the world around us? Lord, forgive us for those times that we've just been so consumed with our life and our agenda and our stuff that we've missed the opportunity to bring the life-changing message of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you brought a missionary to us. And Lord, as we enter into the holiday season, Lord, may this be a missional season for us. May we be open to your leading. May we be the salt of the earth. May you season our words with love. Go into all the world. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters that stand with me today. Lord, would you fill them with your spirit today? Lord, would you give them opportunity to be a reflection of Jesus today? Lord, would you allow them to see the fruit of this commitment quickly so that it would inspire us to continue to move forward on mission? We thank you, Lord, that we've been recipients of the goodness and grace of God. May we be an extension of that in the world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.